I want to share a message this morning uh, that's really for anybody and everybody, but in particular for mothers, and in particular single mothers. What's that mean? Okay. He gave me the touchdown sign. I didn't, I wasn't sure what that meant. Well, maybe, maybe that was a trumpet and the Lord was coming. I don't know. Okay, we're in Genesis 21. Turn there with me in your Bible. Genesis chapter 21. There's a story here that I want us to read through together. And uh, I'm going to do something that we call ex expository preaching. We're going to kind of go verse by verse through the story. And we're going to see some things that the Lord shows us about this single mother. First, let me lay a little bit of foundation uh, a single mother can be single because she's widowed. She also might be single because she's divorced. Sometimes we know in our society divorce isn't always two, two-sided. Sometimes it's one-sided. Uh, she also could be um, divorced because she's been abandoned. But single moms have their hands full all by themselves. They've got to be mom and dad all by themselves. So there's a story like this here, and uh, it's really, uh, it, the story's really about Abraham, but I want us to focus on Hagar, the mother of the child. Abraham was a man that God singled out, even though he came from, from a, uh, a false religious system, God singled him out. We don't know why. I think we call that grace. Maybe that's why God singled us out. No particular reason. It's just grace. And we tend to think, when we study Abraham, we call him Father Abraham. We tend to think of Father Abraham as being this model father who waited patiently for the promise of God. No, he didn't. He didn't wait patiently at all. He heard the promise. He knew what the promise was. But as the years went on and the biological clock was ticking, he thought to himself, maybe God's not going to keep his promise. Maybe he was just giving me a vision, a dream for the future. And if it's not going to happen with my wife, Sarah, maybe I can make arrangements with Sarah to use her servant, her slave, as the surrogate mother of my child to keep God's promises. So he went to Sarah with this proposal. And Sarah did what my wife would never do. She said, okay. So he went into a relationship with Hagar, the servant of his wife. She conceived, had a baby, and isn't a newborn baby wonderful? I mean, you look at this innocent child, and, and, and you just, the dreams, the world is wide open before this little child. Everybody loves a newborn baby. And Hagar, the mother, is so proud of her child. 
and she wants to give everything to her child and take care of her child. Hagar is a great mom here. She's doing everything she can for her child. And Abraham, you know, he's a wealthy man by now. He's got all kinds of, of uh, assets and all kinds of, of uh, herds and flocks and servants. He's doing pretty well. So he wants to take care of his son, Ishmael. Time goes on, Bible scholars say about 14 years. 14 year, 14 year old boy now, Ishmael is. And we pick up our story in verse 14 of Genesis 21. It says, early in the morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and he sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. Picture, if you will, in your mind, Hagar raising her child she is so proud of. And everybody can see that on Abraham's face he's proud of his son. But on Sarah's face, his wife, there's a scowl of rejection, abandonment, that the servant is better than her. The servant and her child get more attention from her husband than she does. So she finally has her fill of it after 14 years. She says, that's it. I'm done. I want them out of here. And Abraham, being the responsible father and husband that he is, takes a skin of water, fills it up with water and some food, and puts it on Hagar's shoulders. Now, how much water and food can you carry on your shoulders? The boy's 14 years old. A 14-year-old boy ought to be able to carry some of that weight. But she puts it on her shoulders and heads off with the boy. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm from the older generation. I say he's a jerk. <laughs> At least he can give her a camel or a donkey to load some stuff on. At least he can give her some direction. But he doesn't. So it says she wandered in the desert. You know what wandering is? Wandering isn't, isn't what you do when you know what your destination is. Wandering is what you do when you're not sure where you're going. So she wanders, and that's the first thing in your outline if you want to write this down. She wandered aimlessly, not knowing where she was going, not knowing what her future held, not knowing where she's going to find more water, not knowing where she's going to find more food. She just wandering. So the boy wanders. You know, if the parents don't know where they're going, the kids aren't going to know where they're going. Kids need some stability. They need some structure. They need some guidance. Abraham just abandons them, sends them off, so he doesn't have to worry about the problem anymore. You know, this is the great problem in our American culture today. Fatherlessness. Fathers who will not give structure and security to their children. 
fatherlessness. I, I saw this statistic, heard this statistic just this last week. I was at a, uh, a, a minister's meeting, and we were listening to some gal that headed up some organization in DeKalb County to take care of uh, wayward kids, troubled kids, to try to keep them stable. And we were listening to what their program did, and she gave us this interesting statistic. And I wish I'd have written it down because I'm uh, I don't remember the time period she was talking about. It seemed like it was 10 years. I was surprised what a short period it was. So I think it was 10 years. But she, but she said, and I think it was within the last 10 years, there has been a 53% increase in cases of abuse and neglect. Mostly neglect. In DeKalb County. 53% increase. That is staggering. There is a major problem of fatherlessness, fatherlessness going on in our country, in our county. We're expecting the schools to fix it, I guess. It's the parental responsibility. It's the father's responsibility to give some structure. Moms are great at putting their arms around their little one and holding them and nourishing them and cuddling them and praying for them. But somebody's got to be the disciplinarian in the family. Somebody's got to step up and say, this is what a responsible man does. And teach kids responsibility, not by just demanding them, but modeling it before them, what it is to be responsible. Somebody's got to do this. If you study, and I challenge you to do this, study the cases you've heard in the last several years of mass shootings by some guy someplace, and in almost every case without exception, you will find that man, when he was a, a, a son, had no father. Father was in prison, or father abandoned him, or the father was dead. When a father does, can't put structure in a kid's life, the kid doesn't know what the limits are. So he spends the rest of his life seeing what he can get away with, expecting the government to take care of him. Somebody else has got to be responsible for me. I've learned nobody's going to be responsible for me. It's me. I'm the one that's got to be responsible for me. I make a mess of my life. Or I make a success of my life based on what I do with God's help. So Abraham's a jerk. He allows, his, he allows Hagar and his son that he's supposed to take responsibility for to wander off, not knowing where they're going, not knowing how they're going to take care, be take care of. <clears throat> so she's in the the desert, or if you read the King James Version, the wilderness of Beersheba. Beersheba means well of oath. What's an oath? It's a promise. She had a promise, but was betrayed in her promise. Now she's got, a, now she's got this child whom she can't take care of, she doesn't know how she's going to take care of him, but she has to. She's got to figure this out. So she's wandering in the desert. I, I read someplace that the definition of a desert is someplace that gets less than 10 inches of rain per year. I think, that, I think that's what I read. Not much rain. Not much thrives in the desert because you have to have water. You have to have water. 
and the desert doesn't have much water. I mean, if you're there during the rainy season, good for you. But when the rainy season's over, there's no place to store that water. You're in trouble. Single parenting is kind of a wilderness, kind of a desert. Because most everything in our culture is designed for couples, for families. And so if you're not a couple, you don't feel like you fit, you don't feel like you belong, you feel like the outsider, you don't feel like anybody understands your situation. If we got any single moms here, you can say amen. That's okay, because you know what, this is, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, so she wandered. That's the first thing I want us to see from the story. Then I want to go on to verses 15 and 16 as the story unfolds. It says, when the water in the skin was gone, and Abraham should have known that was going to happen someday, when the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. She cannot watch the boy die. What is she revealing to us about her faith? She doesn't have any. Her faith is gone. She's become hopeless. She cannot watch the boy die. It's in the wilderness. It's in the desert. She runs out of water. She knows she's in deep trouble. So she takes her son, whom she loves, and puts him under a bush because that's the only place where he's going to find some shade. Maybe he'll last, survive a little bit longer in the shade. So she puts him in the shade, but she can't watch him. So she goes about a bow shot away. I don't know how far an arrow would travel back in those days, but maybe, maybe the length of this room or the width, I guess I should say the width of this room. But she goes over that distance away, not far. She doesn't abandon him, but she can't watch this. She finds a quiet place herself, probably under another shrub, and sits there reflecting on her dilemma and crying. Notice first it says she put the boy under shrub. She's a caregiver. She can't save him, but she can make him comfortable. Every mom needs to be a caregiver. She can't make all the decisions for her kids once they go off to school. She can't make those, all those decisions, but she's going to take care of him. So she puts him under a shrub, makes him as comfortable as she can. But a good mom cannot watch her kids waste away. You don't want to do that. One of, one of the problems moms make, often single moms, because they don't have a man around, is they cannot watch their children make bad decisions. So they're constantly following around, fixing the problem, trying to make everything okay, trying to smooth it out. And the only way I grew up is to fall flat on my face. Not because my dad followed me around, make sure I did everything right. I had to make those mistakes because I thought I knew more than my dad. 
I honestly remember thinking, how can he be so dumb? <laughs> and finally I discovered, as I grew up myself, So the second thing is she wept, she wept, she cried. When you're hopeless, you can't pray. Understand this? There, there's, a, there's a connection between prayer and hope. If you don't hope for a result, you're not going to waste your time in praying. So hope has got to be connected or prayer has got to be connected to our hope. She's lost all hope. So she can't even pray. Some of us in this room have been to that place where we've lost all hope. We felt like God abandoned us. We felt like God's not going to answer. It's not reality, but it's what we feel. And because hope's been taken away, our faith's been taken away. So we don't even pray. And if there's no prayer, we're not going to get an answer. All right, let's go to the next... Uh, Verses 17 and 18, the next part of our story. God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What's the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. So Hagar is sitting under a bush with all hope, crying, and a bow shot away, the boy's crying, and God heard the boy. Now, if anybody had a reason to get offended at God, it's Hagar. She's crying out, and God won't hear her, but God will hear the boy. Isn't that interesting? But she didn't get offended. If she'd got offended, she'd have never given God another chance. But she knows there's no other hope. I don't understand why God allowed this to happen. I don't know why I'm out here in this wilderness. I don't know why I'm out in this desert. I don't know why I'm lost out here all by myself. Nobody to take care of me. I don't know why Abraham treated me this way. I don't understand it. But the only hope I have is God. Amen. Sometimes we have to have that attitude. Want me to switch mics? Okay. Where am I at in my notes anyway? So here's, the, here's what I want us to catch. The angel didn't speak to the boy. The angel spoke to Hagar and gave Hagar the vision, the dream, the strategy. Go to the boy... Take him by the hand, lift him up, be of good courage, because I'm going to make a great nation out of him. The angel gave Hagar something to believe in. The angel gave Hagar a promise of her own. No longer is she following around Abraham, depending on the promise God gave Abraham. Now she's got her own promise. She's got her own dream. She's got her own vision. God had spoken through the angel and said, I'm going to make a great nation out of him. God is going to use Hagar to rescue the boy. 
Do you want to be a servant of God? You want God to use you to rescue someone else? Just make yourself available. God will put the connections together. Lift him up, take him by the hand. I thought for years, and I think this is the typical image we have in the church world, that Ishmael is a little baby. And so she lays the baby under a bush. And when God says, lift up the boy, we tend to see him lifting her, lifting Ishmael up over her head. He's 14 years old. She's not going to lift him up over her head. What he's saying is take him by the hand and lift him up. Take him by the hand and lead him through this journey. Take your son and walk through this crisis with him. Show him how it's done. Show him how to do it. This is exactly what we need to do, church, as we help disciple one another. We need to take somebody by the hand, lift them up, encourage them, and walk through the crisis with them. Show them how it's done. This is, this is what we do, and the, the angel is speaking this to Hagar. Because God has a plan for your son and your daughter. And it may look like they're running away from God's plan as fast as they can go. That's okay. Take them by the hand. Guide them. You don't have to have a man in your life. That would be a wonderful blessing. But you can survive and you can be a mom without a man in your life. Nothing's more destructive for your kids than to go through man after man after man because you think you have to have a man. No, you don't. Wait for God to bring the right guy along. Whole lot better for your kids to see it modeled. All right, where are we at? Man, I'm only going into point number three. Verses 17 and 18. Wait a minute, I just read that. No, 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 I didn't. Yeah, I did. So, but I didn't give you the point, did I? That's, uh, she was a willing caregiver. It's a W word, a willing caregiver. All right, the next one then is uh, verse 19. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. Then God showed her a well. So she's, she's out here in the wilderness, and she knows her son's over there a bow shot away sitting under a bush. And she's over here under a bush, and she has this encounter with this angel who uh, tells her what to do. And it says, then God showed her a well. It was right there. It was right there the whole time. There was a well right beside her, and she didn't even see it. Could it be that her tears gave her a blind spot? You know what a blind spot is? That's that place where you can't quite see very clearly. In your car, it's, it's that spot between what you see in the rearview mirror and what you see in the side mirrors. There's that little bit of a spot there where somebody can be coming up behind you. I, 
I had that happen one time. My wife and I were on a long trip. We went down to Nashville to visit our daughter. We were driving down the interstates. You know, that's a long, boring trip. And I was coming up just a little bit faster than the car in front of me. And I decided that I was going to shift over. And I looked at my mirrors, and I didn't see anything. So I flipped on my turn signal and headed out. About that time, I saw out of my left peripheral vision, I saw this, this car coming past me. He beeped his horn, and I jerked back over. No accident. But it could have been. That would have been a perfect case of road rage had that guy had a gun in his car, I suppose. Fortunately, I got away with it, but it shook me up. It made me realize there's a blind spot back there, and it can kill you. The blind spot we have in our own eyes can kill us. The thing that we, 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 we should see, it's right there in front of us. We can't see because it's a blind spot. Our tears, our bitterness, our unforgiveness, our resentment, our betrayal creates a blind spot I can't see. But the whole time there's a well right there. And all she's got to do is draw from the well. The well's already dug. It's already filled with water. It's sitting right there, but she doesn't see it. And I believe the word that God has given me to speak to single moms today is that there is a well right there in front of you. But your blind spot keeps you from seeing it. Expect God to show you what's in your blind spot. Expect God to point out where the well is, where you can draw that refreshing water from deep down in the cool ground. It's going to refresh your soul. It's going to renew you. Discover your well. Discover the well that God's placed there. It's going to meet all the needs that you have in your life. Let me make sure I'm not missing something I wanted to say. So she gave the boy a drink. Notice it doesn't say anything about how she got a drink herself. If that were me, I think I'd get a sip for myself before I walked that bow shot away. Because if I can't get the water from here to there, it doesn't do any good for him. But it doesn't say that. Which implies to me she wasn't so interested in her own satisfaction as she was her son's. So she filled that skin up with water, took it back over there, gave it to her son to drink. She's a self-serving, excuse me, she is not self-serving. She is a servant of others. God help all of us in this room to not be self-serving, to use God to our own, for our own advantage, but to serve others. And as long as we keep serving others, God keeps replenishing. He'll show us a new well. He'll show us a new resource. He'll continue to pour blessing into our life. So she discovered a well. In John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14 in the New Testament, Jesus said this to the woman at the well. He said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a, a spring of water welling up to everlasting life. It's not just going to be a hole in the ground where we can 
pull water up from. It's going to be a spring. You know the difference between a spring and a well? A well you got to go down for. A spring comes up to you. The Holy Spirit is going to be a spring of water inside of us that flows out to others. If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, that's God's design. That's God's purpose, that there will be a spring, a spring of water satisfying others that just flows up from us, never ending, constantly satisfying. A spring doesn't go dry. It just keeps pumping up. That's the spring of the Spirit. I want to walk in that. How about you? I got to have that in my life. Okay, one last, one last point. Did I give you number four? She discovered a well. Number five is in verses 20 and 21. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert. Note that. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. Remember where she was from? Egypt. Those are her connections. She can't get anything out of Abraham. Her connections are in Egypt. So she goes to Egypt and arranges a good husband for her son. You know, Col what? For I said that wrong. I still don't know what I said, but okay, I'll take your word for it. The boy grew up. I presume that means mature. Became mature. She waited. That's the fifth point. She waited. You can't rush growing up your kids. And each of your kids going to have a different speed at which they mature. I, I really didn't mature. Although I looked to mature, I really didn't mature emotionally until I was a little bit older. Made a lot of stupid choices because I was immature. I didn't know that. A lot of us made a lot of bad choices when we were younger because we were immature. Took us a while to grow up. But she had to wait. She had to wait, and when the time was right, she used the resources she had, the contacts, the relationships that she had. Now, culturally, this was the father's job. The father named the children, not the mother. But in this case, we've got the absent father, the neglectful father who's not on the scene. So she takes that responsibility on her own. And chooses a wife for her son. I said it right that time. I thought about it. And she used her resources. We need to use our resources. Now, the next time you go to Walmart or Kroger and roll mumping down the aisles, there will be a lot of people there. You don't know who they are. They're not your resources. But you will bump into some people you know. We always do. We know too many people. You'll bump into somebody that you know, and you'll do more than say hi. You'll ask how they're doing like you want to know that. Those are the resourceful people you have. 
Those are the people you can tap into. Those are the people that can help you and you can help them along the journey. It's not going to do us any good to go out to absolute strangers and try to get somewhere with them. They're already close to us. But there's a world of people out there that we've worked with, went to school with. We used to live in the same neighborhood or we went to a church with them. We know who they are. We have some kind of relationship. Those are the people we can talk to. And those are the people that want to talk to us. She used her resources from Egypt to watch out for her son. We ought to do the same with our kids. Help our kids along the journey with the resources that we have. That's, uh, that's my message for, for, this, uh, for single moms on this one. She wandered. She wept. She, had a willing, she was a willing caregiver. She discovered a well, and she waited. Sometimes you just got to wait. How many hate that patience thing? You absolutely hate that patience thing. But we have to. It's like growing a garden. You just have to wait. It's like growing an orchard. You just have to wait. And growing kids, you just have to wait. Because you can't make it grow, can you? Only God can. Let's stand together. I feel impressed to pray for single moms. I know there's, I know we got some good, good moms here, and I'm, I'm not uh, saying I want to pray for single moms and not regular moms, but in particular, single moms, because you can become weary in well-doing. You can become overwhelmed. You can feel like nobody understands you, and because you're single, because of something in your past, you're not acceptable to God. That is not true. That's a cultural perception we have, but it's not true. <clears throat> God wants to do something good. Lord, I'm praying right now for single moms in this room, single moms who have been mistreated, misunderstood, mishandled, and now they're on their own to take care of these problems. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would renew and refresh and let something we've read in this story today, something that I've uh, commented on in this, let it be life-giving to single moms, Father. Because you want to use them to instruct and guide their sons and their daughters. So, Father, put your blessing upon every mom here, every grandma, every stepmom, every foster mom. Allow them to be a vessel that you work through in touching the lives of sons and daughters. We expect this because we're praying it in the name above every other name, the name of Jesus. And all God's people said... Amen. God bless you. Uh, hope you have a great Mother's Day. I always eat good on Mother's Day. Um, gonna, we've got some prayer partners that will be here at the front that want to agree with you in prayer. Let's expect God to do some great things. Amen. Go with God. He loves you.